Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Loose Ends, the Singh Family Tragedy, has been created specifically for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There is graphic depiction of violence and murder, frank portrayal of sexuality, and at times excessive language. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. This is Episode 2, Troubled Families. My name is Graham Crowley. Thank you for listening. In the last episode, Gratuitous Violence, you heard of the discovery of the bodies, details of the crime scene, and its geographical location. In this episode, I discuss the main players in this tragedy. Go ahead, Telstra. Thank you. Police emergency. Yes, I've got three dead bodies in a bathtub. Do you need an ambulance? No, they're on the So how long have you been here, sir? A listener contacted me this week after finishing the first episode. She asked me to clarify circumstantial evidence and how it differed from some other forms of evidence. She was having trouble understanding the term. There are multiple explanations of what circumstantial evidence is, but I think this is one of the better ones. Direct evidence is first-hand observation, eyewitness accounts, video evidence, confession, possession of an item from the crime scene and so on. DNA and fingerprint evidence, whilst considered scientific evidence, can also be defined as direct evidence. Circumstantial evidence is evidence that can be used to imply a fact or reach a conclusion, yet the evidence does not directly prove it. The evidence provides a link between a suspect and a crime, a victim or a crime scene. The more circumstantial evidence that there is, the greater weight it carries. There are many examples of circumstantial evidence and you will hear a lot of them in this podcast. Following the grisly find on Tuesday 22 April 2003, detectives started working up suspects for the murders and tips from the public started pouring in. Max Seeker, Neil Mazon again off again boyfriend, was identified as the main suspect by police investigators for the killings as early as eight hours after he found the bodies. Confirmed again three days later on 25 April 2003, as noted in police documents viewed. In a police statement dated May 2004, police again identified Max Seeker as the primary suspect for the offences. The speed with which Seeker was identified as the target for the investigation may be viewed by some as disconcerting. There is no problem with an early identification of a suspect, of course, and it is accepted there were other persons of interest. But in a protracted matter, 
Investigators may start filtering evidence where there is a clear suspect in mind, consciously or subconsciously. Police may dispute this comment, but human nature being what it is, it is a possibility. I talk about this exact issue in episodes 5 and 6 and provide examples of what seems to be selective evidence gathering. Max Seeker, Neilma's ex-boyfriend, quickly became a person of interest, then number one suspect. Picking him up at Chermside this morning, police say Max Seeker is voluntarily assisting with inquiries. It makes me feel like, you know, everybody looks at me to say, oh, you know, who's next? Uh, I can't go near him. People shouldn't be scared of me, so there's no point to be scared of me. Like police, Vijay and Shirley Singh were pointing the finger at Max Seeker from the get-go. The Singh family and the Seeker family are intertwined in this case. Fijian Indian and Italian. Different backgrounds, different cultures. To fully understand the case, it is important to explore the Singh family background as well as the history of Max Seeker. Although the murders happen in Brisbane, the Republic of Fiji is a backdrop to this tragedy. Situated some 2,800 kilometres slightly northeast of Brisbane in the South Pacific Ocean, Fiji consists of more than 330 islands, with the bulk of the population living on the two largest islands. Tourism plays a big part in its economy, and in 2019, 400,000 Australians holidayed in Fiji. In fact, every year, many Australians fly to Fiji for the climate and to get away from cold Australian winters. Well, pre-COVID anyway. One day it will hopefully get back to the way it was. It is a beautiful country with close ties to Australia. At the time of the murders in 2003, around 63% of the population were Melanesians and 37% were Fijian Indian. Fijian Indians are anyone who trace their heritage to the Indian subcontinent. Fijian Indians, including the Singh family, are primarily Hindu. The Fijians are mainly Christians and primarily Methodists. Between 1987 and 2009, the Fijian government was overthrown on no less than five occasions, three of which were by the military. But it was the two military coups in 1987 which impacted on this saga. At that time, there was a growing perception the government was dominated by the Indo-Fijian community. After the coups, the military decreed that businesses owned by Fijian Indians had to be represented by 50% Fijian. There was open hostility between Indian Fijians and the Melanesians. Coups and accompanying civil unrest contributed to heavy emigration. The Singhs decided to emigrate to Australia, and three vastly diverse cultures collided. Vijay Singh was born in Fiji in 1952, not to be confused with Vijay Singh, the well-known Fijian golf player born in 1963 and nicknamed the Big Fijian. At the time of the murder of his children, Vijay Singh was 50 years of age. In 1972, he married and there were two daughters from that arranged marriage. He met Shirley Singh in 1975 and moved in with her. Vijay had no further contact with his first family and he left his daughters to be cared for by his brother. This caused a strain between the brothers and they never spoke again. Shirley Singh was born in 1951 in Fiji and was first married in 1970. There were two children of her first marriage with whom she kept in sporadic contact over the years. 
She separated from her first husband in 1974. Vijay and Shirley were married in 1981 and the marriage resulted in four children, Achana, but usually called Sonia, Neoma, Kunel and Siddhi, in that order. The children were born between 1976 and 1991. In April 2003, Vijay operated an exporting company in Australia from his Bridgman Downs property and an importing company in Fiji from his Suva property. As such, Vijay spent up to eight months of each year in Fiji. In a statement to police in 2004, Vijay described the financial position of his businesses sometimes difficult but comfortable. The Singhs decided to emigrate from Fiji to Australia around 1990 and purchased a property situated in Trouse Road, Stafford Heights, Brisbane, in 1991. However, they did not move straight away. Before they were able to leave Fiji, Vijay had to sell his 49% holding in the company he owned and operated there. He eventually sold his share to his brother-in-law, V.C. Dutta, for half a million Fijian dollars. Vijay stated this equated to around 400,000 Australian dollars. Vijay denied having any enemies in business that could have been a motive for the crime, despite the fact the business failed not long after he sold his share. In evidence, he denied there was any animosity between himself and the Dutta family over the business sale and failure. He said it was just business. Others described the fallout from the business failure as bitter. The delay in selling the business meant the Singhs did not move to Australia until October 1993. They chose Stafford Heights as Shirley had relatives living in nearby suburbs. Stafford Heights is situated in the northern suburbs of Brisbane, some eight kilometres from the CBD. Nine years later, in 2002, the Singhs built the house at 20 Grass Tree Close, Bridgman Downs. It is around six kilometres by road from the Singhs' old address in Trouts Road, Stafford Heights, to their new property. About a ten-minute drive. This was to become significant at trial. Their next-door neighbours at Stafford Heights were the Seeker family, with whom the Singhs became friendly. As I have previously said, Vijay spent many months a year in Fiji, attending to business. He had little knowledge of who his family were associating with. As part of the investigation, police obtained many statements regarding Shirley and Vijay Singh. Many people had a lot to say about Vijay. There was a lot said about him at Max Seeker's trial. The dirty laundry of the Singh family has been aired in the triple murder trial of Max Seeker. Mr Singh admitted he and his wife were swingers and he had regular contact with a mistress in Fiji. Vijay Singh was stony-faced as he made his way into court but broke down crying in the witness box. The father was shown photos of the blood-stained carpets in his family home where his daughter Nilma was dragged from her bedroom to the spa bath. But his mood quickly changed when quizzed about his personal life. It included both he and his wife Shirley being members of a swingers club and having sexual encounters with strangers. The couple went to the Gold Coast to meet other partners a month before their three children were killed. During cross-examination, the court heard Mr Singh's wife would receive phone calls from an unidentified person in Fiji boasting about their relationship. She wanted you. She was desperate to push Shirley and your family away. Mr Singh testified that while he was having an affair with a woman in Fiji, he still loved his wife and kids. He told his lover that he would never leave his family for her. Shirley had this to say about Vijay. I believe Vijay's affairs also caused some people to dislike him and what he was doing. 
but I don't believe his behaviour caused our children to be killed. The eldest daughter, Chana, more commonly known as Sonia, was born in 1976. In 1998, she married Kevin, a Fijian Indian, through an arranged marriage. Vijay expected his children to marry within their race and their religion, as did Shirley. At the time of Neilma's death, a suitable partner within the Fijian Indian community was also being sought for her. After marriage, Sonia moved out of the family home and went to live with her husband, but they lived in a nearby suburb, not too far from her parents. Speaking about her father in a statement to police, Sonia stated that he was trying to stop his Fijian ways of beating his family and adopt more Australian values. She described her father as a work in progress. Neil Singh was born two years after Sonia in 1978. She was aged 24 years at the time of her death. The evidence reflects quite clearly she was rebellious of her parents' intentions to have an arranged marriage for her. A friend described Neilma as tormented by pressure from her parents about Indian culture and arranged marriages. Neilma rebelled by having a number of boyfriends. At least two were Fijian Indians, but most were not. Others include an Iraqi male, a Scottish male, and Max Seeker, who had Italian heritage. One former boyfriend stated he and Neilma were in a serious relationship, but broke up because of pressure from her parents. He was of a different religion to Neilma. Like Max Seeker, he was not supposed to be seeing Neilma, so they only saw each other away from her house. He said he agreed with her decision to break up because of the torment she was put through by her family. Neilma lied to her family and friends about her relationships and other matters. Whilst her mother knew of some of these liaisons, she basically only knew what Neilma chose to tell her. Shirley told investigating police she believed Neilma only ever had two relationships, a man named Amit, who is related to Sonia's husband, and Max Seeker. It appears both Shirley and Neilma tried to keep her father in the dark regarding any relationships. But Vijay eventually found out about several of them, and he was angry. Had he known of the true state of matters, retribution may perhaps have been swift and brutal. The Supreme Court in Brisbane has heard the father of the three murdered Singh siblings bashed one of his daughters for talking to a boy. Vijay Singh is giving evidence in the trial of Max Seeker, who's accused of killing his former girlfriend Neelma Singh and her younger brother and sister Kunal and Siddhi Singh in their home in 2003. The court heard Mr Singh once bashed his daughter Neelma Singh with the end of a pool cue for lying to him about talking to a boy on the phone. Defence barrister Sam De Carlo said, you hit your daughter so many times and so viciously that it caused so many bruises she was unable to walk or go to school for three days. Mr Singh replied, I regretted it every day, even up until now. Max Seeker and Neelma were neighbours during the 90s. Max lived with his parents following the separation from his wife. He had two children from that marriage who he saw regularly. In the year 2001, when Neilma was 22 years of age and they were living at Trouts Road, BJ went upstairs at 10pm one night where he found Max Seeker alone with Neilma, giving her a computer lesson. BJ was extremely angry that his daughter was alone with a man. He described it to police this way. Neilma's behaviour on this occasion 
was not in accordance with our customs and beliefs. Protect our children, particularly girls, that they don't go out or establish a relationship until they tell us they want to marry a guy. I wondered what Vijay's reaction to Neelma was after he was sent nude photographs of her, which I will elaborate on in the next episode of this podcast. I canvassed the interviews police had with him, but this subject was seemingly not covered. According to police investigations, by 2001, Max and Neelma were in a sexual relationship. In March 2002, Neelma travelled to Dubai and commenced training as flight crew with Emirates Airlines. She told a friend in Dubai that she wanted to marry Max. In May 2002, after only three months in Dubai, Neelma resigned from her job with Emirates and returned to Australia. There were claims Max Seeker pressured her into coming home. However, the official reason was a dispute with a roommate, which resulted in the roommate being dismissed from Emirates. Neelma did not tell her family she had returned and instead lived with Max Seeker in secret for approximately six weeks. After she finally returned to the family home, Shirley received a phone call from a man posing as a police officer. The man suggested Shirley inspect Neilma's passport to determine exactly when Neilma returned to Australia. This man was later identified as the current husband of Max's ex-wife. Shirley did look at Neilma's passport and found Neilma had entered Australia six weeks before. Neilma confessed to Shirley she had been living with Max and whilst initially angry with Neilma, they did reconcile. It was around this time that Max Seeker commenced a concerted campaign to fracture the Singh family relationships. When Max and Neilma did break up nine months later, in mid-February 2003, it was due to Neilma's parental pressure. Neilma stated Max was angry over the breakup. He stalked her. She was fearful of him, she said, but not for her life. By the end of February, and just two months before the murders, Neilma and Max were back in a relationship, albeit secretly. Shirley thought they were just friends. The court has also heard Max Seeker and Neelma Singh had an on-again, off-again relationship and that just weeks before her death, Neelma Singh received a text message from Max Seeker saying he was dying from a brain tumour. A story the prosecution says was made up to try to get Neelma Singh to reunite with her former lover. The court heard a lot of dirty laundry would be aired about the Singh and Seeker families, including details of illicit affairs and sordid emails. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nilma was suspicious of Max's claims of a terminal illness but continued to see him. She had forgiven Max for distributing the naked photos of her to family, friends and the Indian community. In fact, the very night that her parents flew out to Fiji on business on 13 April 2003, Max visited Nilba at her home and they had sex, the first night of several leading up to her death. Nilma was torn between her parents' wish of wanting her to settle down and marry a nice Fijian Indian boy of Hindu faith and her love for Max Seeker. 
She was also, at the same time, trying to reconcile with a previous boyfriend who did meet the above criteria. Max Seeker was, on the surface anyway, actively assisting this reconciliation. The Crown described a relationship between Max Seeker and Neilma as volatile. Vijay and Shirley Singh used a similar description. The relationship was complicated. However, it must be noted that Neilma and Max did not have a violent relationship. There was absolutely no conflict or violence between Neilma and Max leading up to the murders. There is domestic violence in this story, but not between them. Vijay stated he had given Neilma instruction to call police should Max contact her when he was away. She disobeyed him. Cunell had strict instructions to report any contact between Max and Neilma. But the evidence suggests Max and Neilma were in a mutually voluntary, secret relationship. But that was not the only complicated relationship in this story. The father of three murdered Singh siblings has denied asking the man accused of their murder for a sexual encounter with his wife. But Vijay Singh did admit that prostitutes would visit their family home. If Vijay Singh thought today would be any easier than yesterday, he was wrong. The jury was told about his long history of affairs and sexual habits, including sleeping with his nephew's wife. Mr Singh agreed he invited prostitutes to their family home on two occasions and conceded the visits made his wife Shirley sick and cry. The line of questioning revealed more of the Singh family's dirty laundry and the complex relationships of those close to the three dead siblings. It was alleged Mr Singh invited Max Seeger to have sex with his wife. Mr Singh vehemently denied the accusation. Mr Singh admitted his wife Shirley ran a massage parlour inside their family home and that strangers would frequent there. But when asked did he encourage her to give sexual favours to her clients, he said no. Mr Singh also denied sexually assaulting his 12-year-old daughter's city despite being aware of a complaint made to her school principal. The relationship between Max Seeger and the Singh parents was also complicated. Shirley Singh commenced a home-based massage business in 1999, which continued up to the time of the murders in 2003. Police exhaustively investigated any connection between all these matters and the murders and dismissed them. The family dynamics were such that the Singh children were aware of their parents' activities. Shirley told both Sonia and Neilma of the activities of her and their father. Sonia Patik was also in an open relationship with her husband, which her parents were aware of. Cunell was 18 years at the time of his death. He was involved in drug use, sale of drugs and petty theft. He was sacked from a place of retail employment for stealing merchandise and appeared in court. He told one friend the only way he could deal with the shit that went on at home was by smoking dope. He believed his parents should divorce because of the constant fighting. He told his sister Sonia and her husband that he couldn't control his emotions anymore regarding the continuous issues in the house, so he sought the calming effect of marijuana. He was clearly afraid of his father and obeyed him without question. His father told him he was to report any contact between Max Seeker and Nilma, and whilst he liked Max, he would do as his father requested. Siddhi Singh was just 12 years of age at the time of her death. Some may claim the Singh family was not dysfunctional, but I believe they were on the highway, speeding to that destination. Max Seeker and Vijay Singh clashed violently over matters within the Singh family. A recorded phone conversation was played to the jury of an argument between Mr Singh and Max Seeker, where Seeker grabbed the 59-year-old by the throat and threatened to kill him. I could cave your head in and get away with it. 
Both parties alleged the other had assaulted them. Whilst Nilma was in Dubai, Max Seeker approached Vijay Singh and asked permission to marry his daughter. It did not end well. Vijay refused. Max was eight years older than Nilma, not of Fijian Indian descent, divorced with two children, a different religion, unemployed and recently released from prison. No way was Vijay ever going to allow him to marry Nilma. The pair argued violently. The relationship between the Singhs and the Seekers cooled from that point on. The following month, in April 2002, the Singhs moved into their new home at 20 Grass Tree Close, Bridgman Downs. A large, impressive, two-storey brick home, sitting at the top of a hill and at the end of a cul-de-sac. Max Seeker was born in March 1970, the youngest of four children to Carlo and Anna Seeker. The family emigrated to Australia from Naples, Italy in 1970, whilst Anna was pregnant with Max. Whilst in his teenage years, the family returned to Naples for two years. Max married his partner Sarah in 1996 and they divorced in 2001. There were two children of the marriage, born in 1991 and 1997. Sarah stated Max spent most of their marriage in prison. Whilst he had qualifications in computers, Max was unemployed in April 2003. He claimed to have injured his back whilst in prison was suing the Queensland Government for compensation. Whilst there was evidence of back pain and injury, there also claims the injuries were exaggerated. Max has what can only be described as a lengthy criminal history. The jury did not hear the details, as they do not prove guilt of the murders, but I want to report on the murders, not the trial, and I feel it is important for transparency. And as I said in the last episode, I want to provide you, the listening community, with all the facts and circumstances of the case. Max Seeker, through his solicitor, consented to his criminal convictions and all other matters to be aired. All cards on the table. He acknowledges he was a bad boy in his younger days, but continues to maintain he did not murder the Singh children. In 1988, at 18 years of age, Max Seeker was convicted of receiving stolen property for which he received community service. In 1990, at 20 years of age, he was convicted of willful damage and interfering with electricity works. He was fined for both offences. In May 1993, Seeker pleaded guilty in the Brisbane District Court to a total of 83 offences, including arson, attempted arson, breaking and entering, willful damage, unlawful use of motor vehicle, and other property related offences. These offences occurred in 1990 when he was aged 20 years. One journalist at the time wrote this. Mr Seeker pleaded guilty to 83 offences arising from what the judge called a grand rampage of lawlessness. He had led a gang of armed youths that tried to burn down a police station and set fire to a school. He was sentenced to nine years imprisonment. By 1997, he was on parole when he was arrested again. At that time, he was convicted of throwing a Molotov cocktail at a flat and sentenced to two and a half years imprisonment. He was released in 2001. At the time of the murders, Max Seeker was aged 33 years. He was 42 years of age at the time of his conviction. In 2014, a journalist wrote this. In 1993, more than a decade before the Singh killings, a prison psychologist raised the alarm that Seeker displayed the hallmarks of a psychopath. Criminal psychopaths are considered particularly dangerous because they can be superficially charming, but also cunning, manipulative, and devoid of remorse. 
Their lack of guilt makes them more likely to reoffend, some experts believe. Not all psychopaths are criminals or even violent, and research shows their traits can take them to the top of their fields as leaders in the corporate, political, and sporting worlds. Pathological lying, manipulation, emotional shallowness, sexual promiscuity, a lack of remorse or guilt, proneness to boredom, and juvenile delinquency are among 20 factors found in people with the personality disorder. Seeker, well before the Singh murders, was found to have psychopathic traits which included difficulty controlling impulses, marked self-centeredness, grandiosity, and a broad-ranging criminal history. This man quite clearly produces most of the symptomology of a borderline personality disorder mixed with some features of Italian family loyalty. Borderline personality disorders cover a wide range of conditions, which can include psychopathy. What is very clear is that this man came from a very dysfunctional family, the psychiatrist wrote. In May 2003, after the bodies were found, Max Seeker was requested by his parole officer to attend a psychologist who conducted psychological assessments and assisted people dealing with emotional issues. The psychologist wrote a scathing report about Seeker, which included these comments. He presented as though everyone knew of him. He displayed some anger and indignation during the meeting that he should be considered a suspect in the murders. She believed he liked to think he was in control. She conducted a mental status examination, but did not feel the need to run psychometric testing. During his trial, the jury were told Max had been in prison but they were not told the nature of the crimes he had committed. The jury was told not to speculate about the reason. Given his criminal history, it was probably best that they were not told. But human nature being what it is, I bet they did speculate. I jotted down comments and observations of Max Seeker people relayed to police during questioning regarding the murders. Aggressive, abusive, arrogant, domineering, possessive, overbearing, threatening, charming to irritable, nice and pleasant, fun but psycho, over-the-top nice, affectionate, charming, likes to think he's in control, a gentleman with women, extremely polite and calm, nice guy, helpful and calm, honest guy, friendly and courteous, very polite person, invades personal space, a helper. I could just as easily have jotted down observations of other people from the police investigation, but Max Seeker was convicted of these crimes, no one else. In a statement to police in 2004, Shirley Singh had this to say. I believe Max Seeker disliked us at the time our children died, but I wouldn't have called him an enemy. I believe he disliked us because he wanted to marry Neilma, and we stood in the way of that. A friend of Neilma said that her family did not like Max because he had too much baggage. What I did note missing was actual evidence of violence against anyone, particularly women. His ex-wife Sarah provided police with five statements over a three-year period between April 2003 and May 2006. She consistently denied he ever assaulted her. She also denied he ever assaulted their two children. She described him as having a temper, being possessive, and could never believe anything he said as he lied all the time. 
She stated he was always a gentleman toward women, opening the door, kissing her hand, but would pick fights with men if they looked at her or she looked at them. In one statement, she described him as possessive and jealous. She also stated that whilst he was in prison, he would write to her every day, sometimes up to 18 pages in length. At trial, the Crown had this to say about the murders. Prosecutors allege Max Seeker is a jealous man who cannot be trusted. It was his jealousy that drove him to violently strangle his former girlfriend, Nilma Singh, because she was seeing another man. The jury heard Seeker murdered Nilma's younger brother, Kanal, and 12-year-old sister, Siddi, as they would have been the only witnesses to his crime. It is possible Max Seeker murdered Nilma and her siblings because of the cultural expectations Nilma's parents had of her. Perhaps he murdered them as revenge against her parents particularly Vijay Singh. Perhaps it was a case of, if I can't have her, no one can, which doesn't explain the murdered siblings, of course, other than collateral damage. At the time of his arrest, Max had two usernames he had made up for internet accounts, Mad Max and Psycho Max. These usernames were never mentioned at trial, perhaps for obvious reasons. As I have said, I have never met Max Seeker, but I think he would be an easy person to dislike. Women, however, seemed to flock to him like moths to a flame. When I was reading the material I'd been given, I thought Seeker displayed narcissistic tendencies, or perhaps ASPD, antisocial personality disorder, but I'm not professionally qualified to diagnose any mental orders. From my background, I can understand why police focused on him so early in the investigation. I believe he would have presented poorly as a witness to a crime. Pushy, arrogant, wanting to control the dialogue. From my readings, I thought he had a problem with authority, or perhaps just police. Investigators would have immediately checked his prior convictions. An extensive criminal history, including arson on a police station. Prison time. He would have been pushing all their buttons at once. No wonder he became their prime suspect within eight hours of the bodies being found. By him. Whilst reading the more than 1,000 police statements, I come across details of a motor vehicle accident involving Max Seeker on 12 April 2003, just a week before the murders, in the parking area of Brookside Shopping Centre. Curiously, this incident did not make it to trial. Perhaps it was not considered relevant. Certainly, Max Seeker's conduct on that day did not fit the Crown narrative. But there was plenty of other material that I did not consider relevant that did make it to trial. For example, sending anonymous emails with nude photos of Nilma to her family and friends and falsely telling her he had an incurable brain tumour is appalling conduct, but not evidence of murderous intent. This conduct, however, was considered relevant at trial. The other driver in the traffic accident was a 78-year-old woman. She turned in front of Max Seeker, but she did tell him she thought he was speeding. Neither person was injured, but both vehicles were damaged. Seeker immediately called his father, who attended the scene. He also called the police, who attended. Seeker called the woman's husband for her and told him she was okay after the accident. The woman described Max Seeker as quite friendly. She added that he was extremely polite and remained calm. Her husband described his conversation with Max Seeker as nothing but pleasant. I was surprised. I was expecting to read of road rage, anger and abuse, 
particularly as the elderly woman accused Max Seeger of causing the accident. His conduct and behaviour was exactly opposite. The police officer who attended the scene had this to say about Seeker. Seeker was pushy when I first arrived and threw out the conversation. He presented as a very dominating person who constantly encroached upon me when I tried to put some space between us. He told me he was on parole. He had an attitude and personality I can only describe as arrogant. Two employees of AAMI Car Insurance later gave statements that Seeker was pushy when it came to having his car repaired, but no pushier than many of the other customers they dealt with daily, but not abusive or aggressive. You may recall I mentioned in the last episode that the Solomon Islands play an integral part in this whole saga. The Solomon Islands is located approximately 2,000 kilometres northwest of Fiji and 2,000 kilometres northeast of Brisbane. Effectively, the Solomons, Fiji and Brisbane could be visualised as forming a triangle, equidistant apart. Six islands comprise the Solomons group, the most famous being Guadalcanal. History buffs will tell you Guadalcanal was the location of some of the fiercest fighting in the Pacific theatre of the Second World War. In Episode 7, you will hear the story of a man living in the Solomon Islands who obtained Australian residency in the 1970s. This man's world, his gang of criminal kidnappers, and Neil Masing were to dramatically collide in mid-2002. Guns, taser and criminal conspiracy to obtain $10 million arrests and lengthy prison sentences. This story has never been told to this time. But this male had a dark past in the Solomon Islands which was seemingly unknown by Queensland police or ignored until now. Allegations of a very large unpaid debt, firebombing a solicitor's car to have her back off from further recovery action, breaking into her office to destroy evidence, an execution-style murder by a bullet to the head, a conspiracy to murder an accomplice, a plane crash that killed 15 people, Neilma Singh's fear of being killed if information about the kidnapping leaked out. But more about that in Episode 7, because there's more to cover before we get to that part of the story. Thank you for listening to Episode 2, Troubled Families. Please join me in Episode 3, A Chaotic Timeline, where I give detailed information leading up to the crime and afterward. For those listeners wondering why I delve so deeply into the Singh family's dirty laundry, the reason is simple. Those matters formed a large part of the police investigation and trial evidence. It would have been remiss of me not to raise them. Thanks very much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like it, recommend it to others. If you have questions, information or feedback, you can contact me via the following. The Facebook page is Loose Ends, The Singh Family Tragedy. My email address is looseends2003 at outlook.com. The website is through the ACAST webpage, www.shows.acast.com forward slash loose dash ends. This podcast was made possible with the grateful assistance of the ACAST Creator Network. Appreciation to Bad Bassam for editing, mixing and mastering. Music, before I go, by RKVC.
Media clips, courtesy of channels 7, 9 and 10. You'll find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode. Thanks for listening.